Chet Sivan Tafshin Ayin Hey, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Zilber, brand new, La'an Panta Ahavatenu, great 70s style music here on The Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten, you are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are here each and every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, 9 AM Eastern, 4 PM Israel time, and... Through the great technologies of the Internet, we are available to you on demand. You can listen to the show whenever you want, wherever you want, via the Nachum Siegel Network app, via the Nachum Siegel Network website, which is nachumsiegel.com, or you can go onto iTunes, go into the podcasts section, and subscribe, and you'll get the Israel Show delivered into your smartphone or device automatically every week. All those things make it so easy to listen and hopefully will give you good reason and great content to uh, justify it. Today's show, unusual because we we uh, usually have a, a, a potpourri of Israel-related uh, items and issues to discuss. Today's show we're going to devote entirely to one subject and it is the Supreme Court decision that came down last Monday a week ago in the case of Zivotofsky versus John Kerry, Secretary of State of the United States. The general concept that is behind the, the, the case is that United States policy, policy is that Jerusalem does not have a country that it is located in. There's no where is Jerusalem? It's in Jerusalem. And you will see during this next hour how insane this is. Literally denial of reality. That it applies even to the western part of Jerusalem. 
the United States of America does not recognize that Jerusalem is in Israel. It's amazing. And therefore, any American citizen who has a child in Israel, who the child is now an American citizen, who applies for an American passport to make it easier for them to travel to the United States, the place of birth was listed as Jerusalem rather than Israel. And the Zivotovsky sued the State Department saying, we want our child's passport to say Israel. And the we're going to play the interview in uh, in segments, you know, several minutes each segment, focusing on a part of this story. It's a long story. And uh, it, it takes place over a period of, uh, I believe, 12 years. And it ended with the Supreme Court ruling this past Monday. And in between, we'll play some appropriate music. Um, and I felt that the most appropriate music would be Yerushalayim music. Before we start, number one, thanks to our good friend, someone who I am proud to be called a colleague of, Mayor Fertig of the OU, who helped uh, facilitate the interview with Ari Zivotovsky. And the second point, I'd like to apologize in advance, and I'm going to apologize in advance, for the sound quality. The only way that we could get uh, Ari Zivotovsky to do an interview was um, while he was driving, and he was using a uh, um, headset on his cell phone. There's a lot of background noise, but I, I find, at least when I'm listening to it, that you can understand what he's saying and make out most of it. I will try also to summarize each part afterwards and um, give you a little insight beforehand. Here we go. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Rabbi Dr. Ari Zivotovsky was born and raised in New York. He studied at Yeshivat Haritzion, known to many as the Gush, and received his rabbinic ordination, his smicha, at Yeshivat Derech Eisan, also known as the Yeshiva of Farakaway. Ari holds a Bachelor's of Science in Electrical Engineering from Cooper Union and an MA in Math from Hofstra. His PhD in Biomedical Engineering is from Case Western University, then he did a four-year postdoctorate at the National Eye Institute of the National Institutes of Health. On top of that, Ari has an MA in Jewish History from the Bernard Revel Graduate School at Yeshiva University. The Zivotovskis made Aliyah in 2000. He lectures in communities around the world. His articles appear in Tradition, Judaism, Journal of Halacha and Contemporary Society, Chakira, Tchumin, Hamayan, and more. My personal favorite is his regular column in the OU's Jewish Action magazine entitled, What is the Truth About? Dot, 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 in which he explores and sets us straight on popular halachic misconceptions. Some examples. What's the truth about checking tefillin? What's the truth about reading the Megillah on per morning? And there are many more considering that he's been writing the column for 16 years. We'll post a link to the OU website where you can see all the Ari Zivotovsky What's the Truth About columns. We're bringing him here today because after a 12-year court battle, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled last week in the case of Zivotovsky versus the Secretary of State at issue the State Department's refusal to recognize that Jerusalem is in Israel, or anywhere else for that matter. We are very happy to welcome Rabbi Dr. Ari Zivotovsky to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shalom, Ari. Shalom. Coming to us from Israel. Let's, I guess, start with the facts. An American citizen, born in Yerushalayim, his parents go to the consulate to get him an American passport. What happens? You fill out your passport application, and one of the items you have to present is your birth certificate, the Israeli-issued birth certificate. And one of the items you fill out on the application is place of birth. Now, if the child was born in Tel Aviv or Haifa or Afula, they will say, oh, good, this is Israel, and they will write down Israel, and that's how it will appear on your U.S. passports. If the child was born in Yerushalayim, 
and anywhere in Yerushalayim. Sharit said that Kadas and Karim, meaning even the western half of Yerushalayim, if you write down on the form Israel, they will look at the birth certificate, they will say, no, no, that's Jerusalem. They'll cross out Israel on the form and say and tell you what's going to appear on the passport will be just Jerusalem. So uh, let me get this clear. If you were born in Haifa, it doesn't say Haifa, comma, Israel. It just says Israel. That means it lists the country, not the city. Is that it? Correct. And that's the way it is around the world. If you were born in Paris, it will say just France. If you were born in Montreal, it will say just Canada. Okay. I got it. So Yerushalayim is a uh, – either, either it's a country on its own or – It's a unique entity, right? Well, this is part of the, the larger U.S. policy towards Yerushalayim in that Jerusalem is not recognized as being part of Israel. And Jerusalem is not part of Israel as far as that concerns. Now, has this been the policy since 1948 because in the partition plan originally Jerusalem was supposed to be an international city? Is that where this started? That's where this started. This has been the policy for every administration, Democrat and Republican, since 1948. What changed that made you decide to uh, take this... So well, what changed is that in 2002, Congress passed a law because they said this policy is, is absurd, and we really were very thankful to the Congress for realizing this. They passed a law that said that if a U.S. citizen who was born in Jerusalem wants the passport to say Israel, that they have that right, and the State Department shall comply. So that, that according to this, that's the law of the land. The State Department has to comply with the law. Just, now, like I have to pay my ta- just like I have to pay my taxes, I guess. Right, and that's how we understood it. 2002, this law was passed. Now, what happened was when President Bush signed the law, he said, um, I'm signing this law into, uh, you know, as a law, because there were other provisions in that law as well. But he said that this provision I am planning on not fulfilling. Is this, uh, this President Bush the, the first uh, President Bush or the second? I think it was the second, the one who was president in 2002. Okay. And then our son was born shortly thereafter. My wife went to the embassy in Tel Aviv. She filled out the application. And she requested that it state born in Israel in compliance with the law. The clerk at the embassy said, ma'am, we can't do such a thing. Would you want a Palestinian who was born in Gaza that it should say born in Palestine? We can't do such a thing. That's an incredible statement. That itself is It was an unbelievable statement. statement. My wife was left uh, mouth agape, didn't know what to respond. She filled out the form, and we waited to see what would come. The passport that arrived said on it, simply born in Jerusalem. We didn't think of doing anything further. We're not litigious. We don't have any lawyers in the family. But we got a call from the Lewins. Nat Lewin is a world-renowned constitutional attorney who likes to take on Jewish causes. Um, and his daughter at that time was working with him. They started a new firm, Lewin and Lewin. And his daughter, Lisa Lewin, called and said, would you like to challenge and try to enforce the law? Can I ask, do you know how they came to you of all the Americans that are born in Israel? And there are many, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, my wife knows them. My wife knows Lisa from, you know, uh-huh. they were childhood friends. Once the, the Lewins said that this is something that they are willing to take on and, and represent us, we said, certainly, right. well, you know, let's go ahead and challenge. Since since this has been going on, you'll tell me in a moment when it started, I always saw it as you are you are saying, Laman Sion Lo Laman Yushalayim Lo You're echoing those words. Absolutely. That's, uh, I mean, that's what we felt. But we felt really that, plus that we were just the representatives of all the uh, tens of thousands of other people who were disaffected. Because it really wasn't just our cause, it was for the honor of Yerushalayim and in the name of all those other people.
Song composed entirely from the uh, names of Yerushalayim and the Imesh Kachech Pasuk. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We have a very special show as we are sharing with you an interview that we had late yesterday with Rabbi Dr. Ari Zivotovsky, the plaintiff in the case that was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court exactly one week ago. In the first part, we just outlined the facts what brought it about. Now we will begin hearing the Zivotovskis and their lawyers, the Lewins, their their ordeal, the years, years of running from one court to another court, from one court to another court, and that's just to get the court to allow them to plead the case, which is fascinating. Okay, here we go, part two, the process of filing the suit. The lawyers... The Lewins, Nat Lewin and his uh, daughter, I believe he said Aliza, and uh, on behalf of the Zivotovskis. How long has this been going on? When did it start? It ended now, it ended last week, but uh, when did it ended start? Last week. But it's been going since, uh, I guess, early 2003 is when the long, long saga commenced. Really long. I mean, there you talk about the wheels of justice moving slowly. This is tw- uh, 12 years. Well, it involved a lot of steps. In other words, the first place we went was to the district court in D.C. And we simply sued the Secretary of State and said, enforce the law. And I guess a district court judge isn't really interested in telling the State Department what to do. So <laughs> she, she needed to get it off her desk. Right. She looked for an excuse. The first thing she tried was she said we have no legal standing, meaning that there's no harm. There was nothing that happened. The passport is fully valid. And she threw us out. We went to the appeals court, and the Lewin said, why don't we compare this to vanity license plate? The state legislature in Maryland said, you can either get a regular license plate on your car or a vanity plate. What happens if you request a vanity plate and they give you a regular plate? It's perfectly valid. You could drive with it. But because this was a right granted to, to, to you by the legislature, you could sue to get your vanity plate. 
So too here, the Lewins argued, the, the passport is fully valid, but because Congress granted you this right, you could sue to enforce that right. That's genius. And the court That's, of, genius. Yeah. That's genius. And the, and the Court of Appeal agreed. The Court of Appeal said, indeed, you can go ahead with your suit. You have what's called legal standing. Okay. So we went back to the district courts, and again, the government requested it be thrown out. This time they said it should be thrown out because it's a political, non-judiciable question, meaning this doesn't belong in the courts. This is a political issue. And again, the district judge threw it out and said, you're right, this is a political question. Get it off my, off my docket. I'm not going to deal with it. And, and therefore, was, did that mean that the judge was saying that the Congress has no right to legislate it? The judge was saying, really, not that they had no right to legislate it, but that the issue here, whether it should say Israel or Jerusalem, it, it doesn't belong in the courts at all. This is not a, a legal issue. It's a political issue which should be fought out between the president and Congress. Uh-huh. How are we to enforce what Congress said? I guess we can't, is what she was saying. Right. If the courts can't enforce it, then it's not enforceable, right? Yeah. So we went to the Court of Appeals, and unfortunately this time the Court of Appeals agreed with the district court judge and said, indeed, that this doesn't belong in the court. So we appealed to the Supreme Court.
hosted by Ovadia Hamama. Yerushalayim HaShalom V'Hayofi. As we say, we're interspersing Yerushalayim songs as we are dealing with a uh, Yerushalayim issue, without a doubt. So in the previous segment, the Zivotovskis and the Lewins took their case initially to the district court in D.C. They were thrown out. They went to the appeals court. The Lewins came up with a brilliant strategy. The appeals court sent it back to the district court and said, you can't throw this out. You got to deal with it. And the district court threw it out again. And so we ended that segment that the Zivotovskis and the Lewins appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States of America asking them to deal with the subject. Now, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. He discovered all this stuff, and he's going to explain to us how the Supreme Court works in the United States and how their case played out in the Supreme Court. We continue with Rabbi Dr. Ari Zivotovsky of Israel. He was the plaintiff in the passport case, Zivotovsky versus the State Department. Now, the way it works in the U.S., I was not aware of this, and maybe a lot of other people aren't, is that the, you've already had two chances. You already had the District Court and the Court of Appeals. Right. The Supreme Court doesn't have to take anything they're not interested in hearing. And they take less than 1% of the appeals that are, are sent to them, meaning about 70 cases a year from the entire United States. Wow. So they only hear cases that they think have broader significance. And they agreed to hear it. This was in 2011. They agreed to hear the question of whether our case was a political case or the courts could adjudicate it. And um, they heard the case. And not only did they hear it, but they asked the lawyers to brief them on the substance of the matter as well. In other words, uh, they looked as if they were willing to give us a ruling in the case itself, not only whether it's a case that can be heard, but also um, what the, the result is. Can we enforce the law? Uh-huh. Unfortunately, when they came down with their decision, they only ruled on the political question. And they found that I will favor eight to one that it's a, a case that indeed can be heard by the courts. They sent it back to the Court of Appeals and giving them a little bit of a... Uh, of a push told them not all cases are easy, but your job as judges is to rule on the cases. They gave him a muster a little muster schmooze. A little muster schmooze they gave him. So we were. I'm going to interrupt for one second this segment to explain and, and try and, and put some order into this. From 2003 to 2011, and the Supreme Court ruling in 2011. The only thing that was accomplished was the Supreme Court ruled that the appellate court should rule on the case, meaning nothing really happened yet. The only thing that happened was that they were, they, they earned the right to have the court hear their case. It's amazing. And that took eight years. <laughs> it's beyond comprehension, if you ask me, but that's the way it works. So, uh, so the Supreme Court ruled overwhelmingly that the, uh, that the appellate court can, uh, can hear the case. We go back to uh, the interview. Back to the Court of Appeals, and now they knew they had to rule. And the question before them was whether it's the law that Congress had passed was constitutional. And they ruled, unfortunately, against us. They ruled that it was not constitutional, that Congress had no right to pass it, that it infringed on the president's authority. So now we were, uh, again, against the wall. We appealed to the Supreme Court, and to many, many people's surprise, uh, they agreed to handle this hot potato. So uh, one second, let me just get back to this, the ruling that the district court came up with. It really has nothing, the Court of Appeals, I'm sorry, it really has nothing to do with Israel or Yerushalayim or anything. It really has to do with the battle for power between the Congress and the President, who controls the foreign policy. Absolutely. It became a constitutional issue, and that's why the Supreme Court agreed to hear it. This was, this suddenly became a very significant constitutional question of, of how the uh, foreign affairs powers are divided between the branches of the government, which is why what happened next was very interesting. The government really hammered in about the sensitivity of the Jerusalem question. 
even though it's as you just said, it had nothing to do with Jerusalem. This should have been a purely constitutional discussion. And yet the government talked about how sensitive Jerusalem is, and the justices kept asking, or some of them repeatedly asked about, well, can't this lead to conflict? Won't this upset the Arab world? And, um, and yeah, my question is, so what? That's not what was relevant to exactly as you just pointed out. So, so did the Lewins, were the Lewins able to attack this, uh, that issue? Do they have an idea why the government was making it into an issue of Yerushalayim rather than a constitutional issue? No, I think they tried staying very, I mean, they responded when they were asked about it, they responded, but they tried responding to the constitutional question. Um, to prove that Congress did have the authority to pass this legislation. Yeah. Anyhow, but then last week, as you said, the ruling came down, and in a 6-3 vote, the court found that it indeed was an unconstitutional law. Zev Jabotinsky. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Thank you so much for tuning in, making us a part of your day. Today's show, we are devoting it to um, interview with Ari Zivotovsky, the plaintiff in the case that appeared before the Supreme Court of the United States of America and was decided 
a week ago, exactly last Monday, against the plaintiff on the issue of uh, putting the word Israel into a passport of an American citizen that was born in Yerushalayim. And uh, in the last part that we just played, the saga reached a point where the Supreme Court ruled against the Zivotovsky. That was uh, a week ago. And we're going to continue in a moment. I want to remind you two things. One is that we are going to post on our Facebook page lots of links that are very relevant to, uh, to the uh, discussion today including also the links to the uh, songs that we played, YouTube videos of the songs that we played, so you can listen to them as well. We'll post uh, information about the court case and also uh, some more clips that we're going to play a little later on. So I encourage you to go to facebook.com slash The Israel Show and take a look at it. And if you uh, enjoy it, please give the page a like. It is important. Of course, you can comment, and we enjoy hearing from you, and we usually answer as well. Secondly, it's appropriate time to remind you, and it's appropriate to the subject, that the Israel Show is sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh, which uh, is an amazing organization providing Olim from the United States with all kinds of resources to help them make their Aliyah very successful, and that includes need-based financial aid. Go to their website, Nefesh Benefesh's website, www.nbn.org.il, www.nbn.org.il. You will see the incredible range of uh, materials that they have, information that they provide for you. Even if you're not planning to make Aliyah tomorrow, or next week, or even next year, this will help you concentrate and focus on a goal which we should all hopefully have. The Israel Show is proud to be sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh. We're going back to the interview with uh, Ari Zivotofsky. Last we left off, the Supreme Court ruled against them, and that was the end of it. But I asked Ari, considering the fact, it would seem that the reason for the ruling has nothing to do with Yerushalayim and has nothing to do with Israel, but rather has to do with the separation of powers, with the question of who is in charge of the foreign policy of the United States of America. Is it the President and the Congress? And the court ruled that it's the President and the Congress can't force the President to do things that will affect foreign policy. One would assume that the issue of Yerushalayim per se does not appear in the court's uh, in the court's ruling. And I asked Ari that, and here's the surprising answer. Was Yerushalayim mentioned in the decision? Oh, it was, many a times. Many a times, by both sides. The uh, the majority that found that it was unconstitutional, the first, I don't know, five pages of their uh, decision focused on the history and how this got to where it is, and all about the history of the, the Yerushalayim policy in the U.S. government. That's, that's the, strange. That would be surprising, I would think, that they would... Uh, but it wasn't about Yerushalayim, I, but... I thought it was surprising as well. But I guess it was very hard for them to separate the two issues because they understood the ramifications of their ruling. And right. even though I would think you don't take that into account, I guess it was very hard for them to uh, to forget about that. Well, you know, they're, they're judges, and sometimes cases are difficult, and they have to do their job. <laughs> so, um, it is interesting. We don't know why. Why, why. why were they so interested in Yerushalayim, and they devoted so much time in their ruling to the Yerushalayim situation, even though supposedly it had nothing to do with that. That is a mystery. Um, and, considering the fact that we now know that um, that the Supreme Court refused, uh, uh, basically ruled against um, Ari Zivotofsky and the Lewins. So we asked Ari, knowing the outcome, if you had it to do all over again, would you do it? Do you regret bringing this case all the time that was spent on it, etc.? Do you regret it? The answer is no. We don't regret it at all. 
because I, I wouldn't have been able to answer this if you talked to me the day the ruling came down. But what has happened since then has made me think that maybe this was the better of the outcomes. Because what has happened since then is we have found that Congress and the Senate and the Jewish organizations are now not only fighting on behalf of changing one word within a passport. You know, that the whole battle was about changing the word to Jerusalem to Israel in a document that's almost never looked at. But what happened is now the, the U.S. policy, which is ludicrous, is now on center stage. It's really increased the awareness tremendously, and it's led senators and congressmen to, to raise this and to say to the president, do something about it, to say to the uh, presidential candidates, make this a focus, address this crazy policy. Yeah, and, and, they uh, all, and, and they all address it, all the candidates, as long as they're candidates, and once they get elected, <laughs> it goes down well, the drain. <laughs> well, maybe this will let you know, some of them really take it seriously. Yeah. Because they're thinking about what the policy means. They're saying that they they want to be honest brokers, and yet they can't get out the words that even the western half of Yerushalayim is part of the state of Israel. Right. We're not even talking about calling it the capital. We're talking about recognizing that it's part of the state of Israel. Right. And it's just, it flies in the face of the reality. It's just absurd. And, uh, how absurd the United States policy is, and I remind you something that Ari Zivotovsky said at the beginning of the interview, that this has been the policy since 1948 of every administration, Democratic, Republican, doesn't make a difference. The policy says that Jerusalem will always be referred to just as Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, Israel. Can you imagine... Here's a great exchange, and this will show you a little bit of the absurdity. This is a clip, a press conference, or a briefing, I should say, of the State Department spokesperson, Victoria Nuland, as she is being asked, I would even say pressed, by the AP reporter Matt Lee about this absurd policy of the United States as, as to Yerushalayim. And hear how he do, he's relentless, thankfully. He doesn't give up, and he doesn't allow her to get away with it. Obviously, at some point, he has to stop. But then it becomes very clear to anyone who's listening how ludicrous this American policy is. Yesterday, there was a bit of a kerfuffle over an announcement that was made by the department about the travel of your boss. Um, it, is it the State Department's position that uh, Jerusalem is not part of Israel? Well, you know that our, our position on Jerusalem has not changed. The first media note was issued in error without appropriate clearances. We reissued the note to make clear that undersecretary, uh, acting undersecretary for uh, R. Kathy Stevens will be traveling to Algiers, Doha, Amman, Tel Aviv, and Jerusalem with regard to our Jerusalem policy, it's a permanent status issue. It's got to be resolved through the negotiations between the parties. You have to understand the question. There was a document issued by the State Department with an itinerary of one of the uh, deputy uh, secretaries of state who was traveling in the area. And it said he was going to this place and that place, and then it also said he's going to Israel, he's going to Tel Aviv in Israel, and he's going to Jerusalem in Israel. And, oh, my God, somebody realized that the State Department actually placed Yushalayim in Israel, and they found that error, and they corrected it so that it should only say Jerusalem. That's how, I mean, almost insane this is, but it's, it's almost like a religious fervor that, the, God forbid, they should say Jerusalem's in Israel. And um, the reporter asked about that. She explains it. And now the reporter, Matt Lee from AP, uh, to his great credit, continues to um, to press the State Department spokesperson Victoria Newland on the subject. Is it the view of the of the United States that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, notwithstanding the question about the embassy, lo, the location of the U.S. embassy? We are not going to prejudge the outcome of those negotiations, including the final status of Jerusalem. Okay. Does that mean that you do not regard Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? Jerusalem is a permanent status issue. It's got to be resolved through negotiations. That seems to suggest that you do not regard. Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Is that I correct? I have just enough? spoken to this no, no, issue, and I have nothing further to say on it. Yeah. Ask the question, and I think there's a lot of people out there who are interested in, in he hearing a real answer um, and not saying and not trying to duck and say that this has got to be resolved by negotiations between that, the two sides. Is what is the capital of Israel? 
Our policy with regard to Jerusalem is it has to be solved through negotiations. What, That's all I have to what, say on this issue. Our embassy, according. as you know, is located in Tel Aviv. So does that mean that you regard Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel? The issue on Jerusalem Here. has to be settled through negotiations. Lalit, thank Change you. Of subject. Yeah, say again. Change of subject. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back to, to I want to clarify something. Yes. Uh, perhaps um, uh, give you a, a, an out on your Jerusalem answer. Is it your is it is it your position that that um, all of Jerusalem is a final status issue, or do you think that, uh, or is it just East Jerusalem? Matt, I don't have anything further to what I've said 17 uh -huh. times on that subject. Okay. All right. So hold on. So I just want to make sure you're saying that all of Jerusalem not just East Jerusalem, is a final status. Matt, I don't have anything further on Jerusalem to what I've already said. I guess that is why politicians have the reputation that they have, of being able to go on for over two minutes and basically say nothing and never answer the question. Um, we're going to continue. Um, we're continuing our interview with Ari Zivotovsky, in which he continues to address this specific issue, the insanity the insanity that is the U.S. policy, refusing to place Yerushalayim anywhere, even the western part of Yerushalayim, refusing to accept the fact that it physically is in the state of Israel. And in this clip, there is an amazing revelation. Uh, just uh, listen carefully. I was shocked, I must say, to hear something that Ari mentions in this clip. Uh, my name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network, and we continue our interview with Ari Zivotovsky. Well, I'll give you an example. If you had looked at the White House website, uh, I guess six or seven years ago, it was already under Obama, but before our case was high profile, there were many, many pictures of um, administration personnel meeting their counterparts in Israel, in Jerusalem. And the website said, you know, Secretary of State meeting Israeli Foreign Minister in Jerusalem, comma, Israel. But that's where Jerusalem is, yes. whether you like it or not. Once our case became high profile, they sanitized their website. Wow, that is amazing. It was unbelievable. I mean, the reality is that it's in Israel. But obviously, they just they have such a difficulty admitting that and coming to grips with that. It's, it's amazing. Well, first of all, I, I, I can speak for myself, but I know I speak for so many others that we are so proud of what you did, and, and I can only imagine how much time and effort went into it uh, on your behalf. And you're a busy person and uh, doing a lot of things, so kola kavod, congratulations. Thanks. For, well, for doing it. The Lewins, are the, ones, uh, the Lewins are the ones who really, I mean, if you see the briefs that they prepare, the amount of research that went into it is yeah. amazing. Well, what I want to say, Father, to your, to your audience, on the, that is on the agenda, I think it's very important that the American Jewish community as individuals and on the organizational level should press their representatives. Now, I don't think this president is going to respond to whatever the Jewish community says, but I think that the congressmen and senators will. But would it matter? That's my question. Does the pressure on the Congress matter? Because the court basically says, Congress, you stay out of this. It has nothing to do with you. Uh, two things. The one is that they told Congress that this law is unconstitutional, but they really defined it very, very narrowly, and they did leave room for the Congress. And, and Congress has a way, and the Lewis are actually working on this now, to draft a bill that will conform with the guidelines that set in the, by the Supreme Court and yet will accomplish at least in terms of the passport. But the other thing is, is that the congressmen and the senators could put pressure on the president, either this one or the next one, to change the policy overall. And we've seen it already. There was uh, Senator Rubio on his website the day after the decision came down uh, attacked it strongly. Thank you so much for your time today and thank you for all the all the uh, all, all the time that you've devoted to this since 2003, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu will uh, will continue to bless you, and uh, you will have all, only good things. Kol Tov. Okay, thank you. Kol Tov. All the best. And uh, I need to reiterate the point that Ari Zivotovsky made, and um, you didn't hear all of it. But he wanted to reinforce that our role, the role of the Jews in the United States, at this point, after he's done 
his his job, so to speak, and the Lewins did theirs. That our role is to keep the Yerushalayim issue on the agenda, to contact our elected officials, and to continue the momentum that was started with the trial. The trial created this momentum that now, as reported in Jerusalem Post and other places, quite a number of congressmen have called on Obama to recognize Yerushalayim as a capital or uh, to change the law or to find a better law. This includes uh, Ted Franks, Republican of Arizona, Elliot Engel, Democrat of New York, Matt Solomon, Republican of Arizona, Peter Roskam, Republican of Illinois, and others. We'll post a link to that uh, article. Keep the pressure. Keep the pressure on the Congress. And when a bill is hopefully uh, brought to the uh, to the Congress, a new bill, one that will hopefully stand the scrutiny of the Supreme Court, they should be encouraged to uh, to vote for it. So my thanks to uh, everybody, to uh, Ari Zivotovsky, who uh, is just, just amazing, to our dear friend Mayor Furtick, who helped facilitate it, and um, to, to, to the Lewins, for sure, who have just devoted, uh, what, about 12 years, if not more, of uh, of their life to this to this battle on behalf of Yerushalayim, and um, this is a battle that we all need to um, we we all need to remember it and continue it. And Laman, as we said before, Laman Tzion Lo Echasheh, Laman Yerushalayim Lo Eshkot. We should um, never be silent on behalf of Yerushalayim. Speak up, and we end uh, this segment. With, uh, I guess, one of the most appropriate songs. Yerushalayim shows I have this one done by Eric Einstein. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Avir harim tzalul kayayim Vereyach oranim Nisa beruach ha'arbayim Im kol pa'amonim Utar demat ilan va'even Shvuya b'chaloma Ha'ir asher badad yoshevet Uvelibah Yerushalayim shel zahav Veshel echoshet veshel or Halo lechol eshiraich Ani kinor Yerushalayim shel zahav Veshel echoshet veshel or Halo Shirela, Velach Vixor Ktarim, 
קטונתי מצעיר בנייך ומאחרון המשוררים. כי שמך צורבת השפתיים, כי נשיקה צרה. אם אשכחך ירושלים, אשר כולה זהב. ירושלים של זהב, ושל נחושת ושל אור, הלא לכל שירייך אני כינור. ירושלים של זהב, ושל נחושת ושל אור, הלא לכל שירייך אני Eric Einstein, Yerushalayim Shel Zahav here on the Israel Show. We're going to close things out with Yonatan Razel's cover of uh, the song Hamasala Eretz Yisrael, which tells the story of the Jews of Ethiopia who for 2,000 years of being disconnected from uh, the Jewish people always held in their heart to dream of returning to Yerushalayim. And this is the story of how it transpired. Um... We will do so immediately after thanking you so much for tuning in, making us a part of your day. We appreciate very much your listenership and your interaction on our Facebook page. We thank you for the likes and the comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network immediately after this real show, Encore Presentations of Eternal Flame with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, followed by Headlines with David Lichtenstein, and then... The Great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Thank you.